MFs, back at it again. Episode 33. Early August, more or less on schedule these days, should be airing next Tuesday. Well, by the time you're listening to this, it will be today, August 11. At least that is the plan. Exciting to get into it with our guest today. Don't think I've got a whole lot to cover in monologue because re- the reality is there ain't a whole lot going in the world that's different right now. I mean, I guess we could jump in, talk about Beirut or some shit like that, but if you're coming to us for your news, there are other issues going on. And uh, I'm just saying, maybe uh, you want to pick up a book sometime, read the newspaper. The Guardian is my recommendation. It's neither left nor right. If you're looking for an online international news source to tell it like it is in this country. Again, what else is new? I flip through the music pages, log on to Polestar. Not a whole lot changed in the live music industry. Looking for those signs. We're coming back in 21. Fingers crossed. Not sooner. Hopefully not later. Is what it is. In the world around us, Got our dumb fuck of a president, still doing the same old thing, denying science, thinking he's the smartest man in the room. I'm sure by now most of you have heard about this Axios interview he did on HBO. Dude can't even read a fucking chart, thinks he knows what he's saying. Reminds me of the cognitive test he took a few weeks back kept bragging about how he passed it with flying colors, doesn't even realize this is a test to see if you have early onset dementia. Should almost be wishing he did. At least that would explain some of his inadequacies, but nope. Passed it with flying colors. Turns out he's just a fucking idiot. Wondering if you've seen by now made reference to Yosemite, called it Yosemite. Seriously. Like, he had, like, the words of his aides running through the back of his head, telling him, try not to act like a fucking anti-Semite today. And all that comes out of his mouth is, yeah, talk about Yosemite and the Yosemites. Like, are you fucking dumb? One bit of good news in the world of music, the Save Our Stages Act, long time in development. Got to give a shout out to uh, Dana Frank on that one, as we know she was the impetus in many ways. Talk about saving our independent music venues, as they were hit hard, as were we all. Hoping something productive comes out of that. Hoping some of these stages can be saved because it's definitely looking grim for those that are not coming back anytime soon. Sports is what it is. Baseball, we're seeing people dropping like flies left and right. Shit going on. 
getting the getting the COVID. My what is it? The Miami Marlins now, not the Florida Marlins. The Miami Marlins. Kyle, what is it? You're my sports guy by default. Miami Marlins. It's the Florida Marlins. It's the Florida Marlins. Did it switch to the Miami Marlins? Did it change back? Obviously, you shouldn't be coming here for your sports news either, right? No, I'm not a baseball person. I talk about basketball. We got something to talk about. Baseball is not my thing. That's probably Dallas or Chris. It says Miami Marlins. Okay, so I was right. It is the Miami Marlins. Thank you, Bear the Banks. There it is. There it is. Anyway, players testing positive. The entire series are getting scrapped. I hope it's not a sign of things to come in football. I know, again, Kyle, that's something you're looking forward to. Yep, season tickets, baby. Pretty sure that, uh, what's Al Davis's son's name? Again, showing off my lack of knowledge about sports. Al Davis, son, owner of the Raiders, the new Las Vegas Raiders. We're not going to talk about him. He's just as bad as his dad. It might be true, but he at least came out and acknowledged that they would be playing without fans in the stands for their home games this season. Waiting to hear the other foot drop, shoe drop, whatever that reference is. Find out what's going to happen with everybody else. I am excited for football. As a Pats fan, I mean, I love my team. I hate to say it, we've got what, at least eight starters that have now acknowledged they will not be playing this year. This after Brady goes to the Bucks, Gronk joins him there. Not going to say I'll be a Bucks fan because that sure as shit ain't going to happen. But I'll be curious what comes. I'll be watching the games. I am excited to see some sports. But again, I bring that up largely because there ain't shit to talk about in our business. We have had a couple of great recent episodes with Larry and Beth from the Red Sox, Mitch with the LA Stadium Complex, home of the Rams and the Chargers, motherfuckers team. But, I mean, other than that, what the fuck? Am I supposed to talk about reality TV in these monologues? Because we're running out of things to say. I mean, hey, Dallas, any thoughts on the latest episode of Below Deck? Um, what? What's below deck? Oh my God. Wow. Or we could talk about the below fake deck. audience in the basketball games. I mean, I was playing. I don't actually haven't seen the latest episode of Below Deck myself. What? But, I mean. It's a great show. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what is a great show, actually. I don't know if anybody's seen this series that is on Netflix right now. I, I don't know where it started. I honestly excuse my ignorance again. I'm not a reality TV show guy either, but has anybody seen this show alone? No. Anyone? Sorry. Banks? Sorry. No. MF? Negative. This one you should check out. 10 people get dropped in some random ass place in like Vancouver Island where the elements are fucked and they're all by themselves and they have to figure it out and fend for themselves and, it's not like Naked and Afraid where you drop naked and you got no tools, no hope, no, no possibility for 21 days, but at least you know it's only 21 days. I'm talking these people, the challenges, last man standing, however long you can go. And frankly, that feels a whole lot like fucking COVID-19 shit we're dealing with right now. 
Speaking of naked and afraid, you don't win shit. Why do people put themselves through that? Um, it's a badge of honor. <laughs> All you get is your 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 vitals, not your vitals. What is it? Your uh, saying your survival technique skills rating. Yeah, it's a badge of honor. Remember John Leary? He explained it to us on the bus. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's that's a damn shame. Hey, Banks, how much can you uh, get for that badge of honor when you bring it to the bank? <laughs> I don't think that that goes <laughs> anywhere towards your credit worthiness or anything at all. I'm kind of like with Kyle bragging on that. Rights. I, I'm with Kyle on this one. I, I I appreciate bragging rights. And and I have watched a bunch of episodes of that program. And, and there were a few where there were a few bad, mostly badass women, I should point out. Badass women that were catching shit, making shit, doing shit. And I'm like, huh, all right. But for the most part, you just try not to die for 21 days if you can hold on for dear life naked. Yeah. What we fucking do. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's entertaining, but like you get absolutely nothing but just bragging rights. Well, at least you get to go crazy places, I suppose. Hmm. Speaking of crazy places, travel is something that none of us have done in quite a while. And I'm sure that has affected the pocketbook of today's guest, I'm sorry to say. But today we are delving into the world of travel. Our first travel agent to join us on the program. She has been in this business for looks to be about 20 years, climbed her way out of conferences and up the ladder to working for herself. Worked with good cross-section of artists, some pretty cool acts in here. We're talking rock bands like Tool, The Prodigy, 30 Seconds to Mars, who I happen to think is very underrated. Jared Leto might be a fucking weirdo, but I think they're a cool band. Anybody want to disagree with me? Great band. I work for them. No bias whatsoever there. Dallas, any opinion? I'm, I, I've never worked for them directly. I've heard mixed things, but it sounds like a good show. I think it's a good time. I actually think Jared, I mean, I only met him once. He was totally cool to me. He was a bit of a space shop, but what do you expect? He's an artist. He was kind of in his own world doing his thing, but put on a heck of a show, was very respectful, pleasant, talkative to the people uh, around him. And uh, yeah, I thought he was great. She's also worked with some of the best DJs in the EDM business. Calvin Harris, Sebastian Ingrisano, Alesso, Martin Garrix, one of the great British electronic acts, Massive Attack. And she's worked with more or less a who's who in the hip-hop business, Rihanna, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kanye. Not really sure whether to categorize Posty. Her two biggest new clients current clients, I should say. Post Malone, who's one of the biggest selling acts in the world, although I struggle with calling him hip-hop, pop. Super nice guy. Bit of an oddball. 
And then there's, of course, one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. One of my favorites, Guns N' Roses. So clearly this woman is on her game, knows what's up, has been there, done it, seen it, and hopefully has some stories to tell. As we please welcome to the program, Danny Triebner. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, very grateful to be here. Well, we appreciate you being with us. Hopefully I didn't butcher your last name or your story <laughs> too badly. No, you actually got it right, which is a, a pretty rare occurrence. <laughs> well, hopefully coming out of this, more people will get it right as well they should. <laughs> Maybe let's start by filling in some of the gaps. Tell us a little bit about your story that we don't know. Yeah, I mean, you did a pretty good uh, history of me right there. Obviously, I left school when I was 18, became a travel agent immediately, uh, went straight out to work. And like you said, I kind of worked my way through all the different facets of the travel industry, started selling holidays, went on to corporate travel, did events, got stuck in groups and events, loved it. I knew that was kind of where I wanted to be. And uh, went on to do things like um, big exhibitions, uh, do all the travel management for that, like thousands of people are coordinate all their travel coming in from all over the world. Was based mainly out in Dubai for that, which was uh, an experience. And um, from there... Actually, I was at that company and um, my operations manager was leaving and uh, she was going on to do music touring and I'd never really heard about music touring. And I thought, you know what, I quite like the sound of that. So um, I uh, rang up the recruitment agent and I said, do you have anything? And so I was getting a bit bored where I was and said, do you have anything in music touring? And she was like, oh, actually, I've got this one position. And uh, I interviewed for it and got the job and I basically, that was my first music touring job, and I stayed with that company for 13 years. Um, Moved from England over the Atlantic, went to New York for a bit, came back to England. They said, go on, can you go to LA, open up the office for a month? I was like, oh, I don't know. Kind of like being back home, you know? And I went back out to LA for a month, came back to England, and then they said, well, you go to L.A. for a year. And I was like, oof, I don't know. I don't know whether I want to do that. But I did it because I can't say no to anything. And um, here I am, eight years later, still in California. <laughs> but uh, I, um, I was with that company for 13 years, and I really did cut my teeth, I would say, in the industry when I was there. I was lucky to be placed on some of the biggest accounts and get to meet people such as someone that I think you all know, Bobby Schneider. He was, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he was one of the key people who kind of got me out on the road. Cause it's kind of a newish thing to have a travel agent that, that will actually travel the whole tour with you. Um, and Bobby was definitely one of the main people who kind of made that become a reality, especially with, with my experience. And that's, of course, how I met Christine. Uh, we went through uh, hell and high water together. <laughs> yes, yes. We've had uh, many intense highs and lows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I refer to Christine as my uh, my candle dealer because we used to uh, do dodgy deals on diptyque candles for certain people that needed them in their rooms. That's so funny. I was thinking about that earlier. I was just like, <laughs> you know, it sounds so ridiculous, but like covert operations on how to get a little tiny candle into a room to create a totally. fragrance. But, you know, if it's not there, it's not a good thing. And she <laughs> saved it time. Why does this require a covert operation? Well, ah. the thing is, <laughs> there's many reasons. <laughs> but from my side, I'll be trying to put a candle in a, a room, say, in a five-star luxury hotel. And uh, they might not want a burning, flammable, you know, burning object that might set light to the curtains or whatever in there. So I had to sneak them in, you know, when nobody was looking. And Christine always helped me out with that. <laughs> so, yeah. So before we move on, I just want to point out, included in your CV is a list of your GCSE scores. <laughs> which is not something that most people include <laughs> in their general work histories. And I, of course, not of course, but if you couldn't tell from my stupid American accident, accent, excuse me, I can barely use the language, um, did not grow up in the UK. My understanding is that is essentially the equivalent to college boards, SATs, ACTs, that sort of thing. Is that right? Uh, well, for, it's the exams that you take when you are 16 years old. So before you're going off to like what we would call a sixth form college, which is where you go to get your final grades before you go to university at 18. Copy. And and you included your grades. <laughs> I know. I think because if they're, they're quite good. <laughs> well, it, it, they are quite good. I mean, for the most part, you got A's, which again, quite clearly makes you smarter than me. Although... <laughs> If your grading system is anything like the rest of ours, how the fuck did you get a C in art? I mean, I really <laughs> want to know. You know what? My dad asked me that exact same question. <laughs> he was like, well, this is all great, but what about that C? And I was like, what? What about the rest of it? I honestly don't know. I think my art teacher actually didn't like me. Um, I made a dress for a final project and my mum is like a very talented seamstress. She used to make all sorts of things. And um, she might have helped me a little bit. <laughs> and I think it became a little bit apparent that maybe I hadn't done it all by myself. <laughs> so I got uh, downgraded. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Well, yeah. if your art teacher is out there listening, and I don't know if or why he or she would be doing so, but I think that's bullshit. I just want to go on record and say, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> We're talking about a woman who got almost all A's and you have to fuck with her grade point average and call into question her abilities because she got a C in fucking art. Like that is crazy to me. <laughs> it, it reminds me of when I was in this studio art class. I think I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. Oh, we used to watch these, I don't know why I'm telling this story, but we used to watch these slideshows of different artists and talk about them. And there was this one minimalist painting I remember vividly. And it was like three fucking strokes of a brush. And that was all. And I said to the teacher, I don't get it. Like, what the fuck makes that art? And this douchebag kid that was in the class with, with me, who I also hope is listening right now, by the way. I, I can't <laughs> remember your name. But if you know who you are, you're a fucking douchebag. Because 
he was like, oh, you just don't understand art. And I, I mean, that always stuck with me because one, he was a douchebag. But two, I've since been to any number of these modern art museums and you can put anything. You could wipe your ass with your hand and smudge it on a piece of paper. <laughs> and some fucking idiot out there will buy this shit as long as some other fucking idiot critic out there says it's brilliant and a representation of God only knows what the fuck. And I don't know why I'm getting excited about this, but I just think it's bullshit that your grade point average would be brought down because of a C. <laughs> so I just wanted to go on record and say that, Danny. You're good with us and fuck you to your art teacher. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember my art teacher's name, so obviously didn't resonate with me that badly. <laughs> well, good. But speaking of remembering the name of a travel agent, I have another funny story that I want to tell briefly because we I tell people all the time when people ask me how they get in, you know, it's such a tight knit industry, yada, yada, talking about music and concerts. And I say the truth is you can do anything and work in the concert industry. And the travel business is a great example because one, at face value, as you said yourself, even when you were in it, you didn't even consider that you could be doing it as part of the concert industry. No. But the other story that resonates in my mind, years ago, I think it was 2013, I was out to dinner, not far from you, Dallas. I think I was in West Palm, and I was with an agent named Robert Gibbs, who's a partner at ICM, and he has J. Cole, and he has a big roster, hip-hop roster. At the time, he and I had done a deal with Kendrick Lamar. It was the first deal I ever did with Kendrick. I was actually a promoter and producer on that tour. And we did that deal. And it was actually one of the first ever hip hop and electronic crossover tours. It was Kendrick and Steve Aoki, which was a wild combination. <laughs> but that has nothing to do with my story. So we're out to dinner and it's myself and Robert Gibbs and another travel agent named Elliot Wiener. Does that name mean anything oh, to you, Danny? I know Elliot. He works for the same company that I'm partnered with. Yeah, I know him. <laughs> I thought you I thought you might, and I was going to ask about we that. We actually just, like, cemented our friendship. We were in Aruba um, back when we used to be able to travel places, and uh, we cemented our friendship over the bar, <laughs> the gala dinner. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a fun guy. Elliot is a great guy. Shout out to him, he and his wife and his beautiful little daughter. I, I, I haven't seen them in a long time. He's based in Nashville now. At the time, he was in Fort Myers, Florida, prior to his moving over to Ascot. Again, we'll jump into that shortly. But the point of this story was that Robert and Ellie and I were talking, and Robert said the craziest thing that I'll never forget. He said... And I don't remember what context or why this came up, but he basically said it's bullshit that the travel agent always gets acknowledged on the Grammy podium and what have you, and the booking agent doesn't. Because the travel agent really does have this relationship, develops this relationship with so many of their clients that's more personal than even that of the booking agent. Yeah. I mean, we're in it. Like, we're in it. Touring travel agents especially, 
when if you're on tour, we're on tour, whether we're physically on it or not. I'm a bit of a hybrid because I also do an advanced role uh, on Guns N' Roses. I go out on all of their tours and I do that as an advanced capacity in addition to booking the travel. But even if I'm just in the office, you know, we're like, we're basically like therapists. <laughs> we go through everything with the tour manager, production manager, production assistant. It's um, it's a full-time job. <laughs> it's 24-7. You know, you're always on call. Um, yeah, we're basically like therapists. <laughs> well, I want to hear more about all of this, but let's let's take it from the beginning and, and start from the early days. If you can tell us a little bit of kind of the evolution of travel in the concert industry. We always like to give our listeners something of a background and how the industry has evolved to the place where it is today. And clearly where you're at, not only booking all of the travel, but being on the road is kind of like the latest evolution of a high level travel yeah. agent. But but what are the early days of travel in the concert industry? You're, you're clearly much too young to speak to this directly, but I'm assuming that you know a little something about well, it. I mean, not necessarily related to concert specifically, but when I, you know, started out in the travel industry, you know, I was in the age of paper tickets, you know, when it was the carbon paper. And if you wanted to issue a ticket, say you wanted to fly on American Airlines, we would go, we'd have this big box that had all of these little metal plates and every metal plate had a airline logo and the code on it. And we would then take that plate, put it in, remember the old credit card things, I can't remember what they're called, where you you put the carbon paper and you run the thing across it and it imprints on the carbon paper. I remember. So that was how we used to issue tickets. <laughs> and. I Everything was just paper, you know. And even if you wanted to reissue a ticket, you would get a little sticker and you would stick it over where the flight was listed and you would hand write the new information. <laughs> I mean, now if you think about that, it's absolutely mind-blowing to think that we used to run all the tickets like that because you'd, you'd have a group of 40 tickets and you'd be sending out packages via the post office or UPS and there'd be these massive packages of all these folders of these paper tickets it was crazy I mean now we're completely in a digital age and you know travel has evolved a lot there was in the early 2000s I think it's 2004 is when IATA who's the ticketing um the main ticketing licensing company they decided that they wanted to go 100% e-ticket I think that was 2004 that they did that so it's really changed. And the thing that not a lot of people know with regards to travel agents is a lot of people think that you go on like kayak or orbits or any of these places and, you know, you just click point, click and point, point and click even. And that's how you book tickets. But all travel agents are actually trained on what they call a GDS and it's a coded system. So we type in codes to bring up the availability. And I think Christine's seen it when I've been in production rooms before that it's it's so archaic looking but it's all it's all coded but at least now in this day and age we're in electronic tickets you've got everybody's got an airline app on their phone you know when you go and travel through the airport we're becoming completely paperless for the most part um and I think also we need to look at 
obviously with COVID, as much as it pains me to talk about it, it's going to have an impact on hotels massively. Um, a lot of hotels are trying to put their room keys on on an app. So they're trying to phase out the plastic room keys that we all love and hate. I go through about 10 every single time I stay somewhere because I always have it next to my phone. But, um, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of things digitalizing a lot more like room service menus in rooms. They're going to be a thing of the past, less paper everywhere. So it's really evolved into like the digital world. Well, it's funny you say that because we talk so often about the changes in technology and how that impacts the concert industry and how it's become a technology business. And I guess the travel sector in particular really embodies that change in technology. It's wild to think about mailing packages of tickets, as you talk about. I I mean, those of us who are dealing... the era that we're in now, those of us who end up dealing on the artist side or are closer to working directly with the artist are seeing the demand of they show up at the airport and they're like, okay, I need to book a ticket right now to thus and such. In five minutes, it's in their in their phone and they're on board. And the idea that that wouldn't have been possible a long time totally. ago. I once had, um, <laughs> I once had a, an artist who uh, was quite famous for not getting on planes and uh she was actually in the car at LAX and the car just kept looping round the you know the the circle there and we'd have tickets issued we'd have like okay let's put her on the delta 3 p.m departure and then three like 2 30 p.m would come and they're like no, void it. <laughs> Let's put them on the next flight. So we void the tickets, reissue them. So we just get reissuing them. And then finally, whenever they were ready to actually make this journey, we're like, oh, thank God. You know, we've been through about four different flights at this point. Like, ticket, void, ticket, void, <laughs> trying to hold all the seats in the right place. You know, it's, uh, but that's lucky that that's the age we live in right now, you know, because we can just, it's so instant. Everything's so instant. There's no waiting for anything. It's funny, though, that you mentioned that you use a system that is not like a kayak or a Travelocity or what have you, because I, I, I've worked with managers that literally watch these travel prices as you know, as the travel agent is sending them in, and they try and cross-reference every single person's ticket to figure <laughs> out if there's a cheaper option, and they're obviously using a kayak or a Travelocity or a, you know going on to AA.com or whatever, as opposed to your system. And they're always trying to prove essentially that their travel agent is screwing them. Yeah. By, I mean, I, how do you deal with that? I mean, it's the age old thing, you know, kayak is the worst swear word you can use to a travel agent ever, because a lot of the time the information on there is not accurate. I mean, I've seen it myself because, you know, if somebody says to me, oh, I've seen it on kayak, it's a hundred dollars cheaper. And you're like, okay, well, let me check it out. And, you know, nine times out of 10, by the time you click through and then you get onto the United website, it's like, oh, the ticket's now a hundred dollars more, you know, it's just... And also, the whole thing of it is that you might be able to get one ticket at that price, but if you want 
seven tickets at that price, you know, you're only looking at a price for one ticket. You also run into problems with a lot of airlines will sometimes do an internet sale, which that's something that's completely out of any of our control because we don't have access to those fares. You know, it's an internet only sale. Nine times out of 10, you're not going to have a seat reservation. You know, you're not going to have check baggage allowance. And these are all things that when you're booking with a travel agent, yeah, there's a fee involved. There's a fee for our time, much like I'm sure pretty much everybody on this call is not going to do work for free. But uh, it's also a fee to rest assured that you're not being given that basic, we call it like a basic bitch fare, you know, where it's like no seat, no bag, can't change it, can't even hold it for a credit. You buy it, it's done. So that's the kind of fallback that you get for using a travel agent. But, you know, we do run into it all the time because everybody's trying to save money. (laughs) Now, you just raised a totally left field question in my mind, though, in terms of, you know, the notion of booking a seatless ticket and what have you. I don't know if this is remotely relatable to the story you just told, but we had a a situation in South America a couple of years ago where we were all traveling as part of, you know, the Lala circuit. And there were 17 different bands all trying to take the same flights. And this one flight in particular, we had multiple people booked into the same seat as other people from other bands. How does that happen? Well, that happens because you're talking about South America. (laughs) South America in itself is this whole different beast. (laughs) Um, I've actually had that exact same situation happen um, where multiple people are holding the same seat reservation. And it's just down to, to the airline, basically. You know, some of those South American airlines... I don't know who even knows whether they're still in business post COVID. We don't know like LATAM and um, all of those, their their systems just aren't up to scratch. So even though, yeah, you've got a confirmation that says that Joe blogs is in two a, that might not have communicated through into their system. And then someone else has sold two a to someone else. It's, it's just the kind of quality of the airline that you're traveling on. (laughs) So basically, I'm the asshole for chewing out the travel agent to let that happen. Is that yeah. what you're saying? You should probably apologize because it, it does happen and it, it happens a lot in that region of the world. Copy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've been the asshole before and I'm sure I'll be the asshole again. But uh, <laughs> you know who you are. I apologize. Uh, I was hearing it from both ends, not that that's an excuse, but uh, I owe you one. (laughs) But it does raise the question, with everyone automated and using the same system, first of all, I guess there's a number of questions. Let me first ask, what is the difference between all of these different companies? We talked about how you and Elliot both work for different branches of Ascot. There's also Frosh, and there are any number of travel companies. Frankly, some of them have so many satellite offices, the agents don't even know the others exist. So, I mean, I was curious if really the difference in these travel companies is, 
is essentially the customized system that each one is using and adapting to. Yeah. I mean, software definitely has a lot to do with it. I will say since I've been in America, um, I've definitely noticed there's really is like a, a core group of us in this industry uh, that we kind of have like this bond and actually we're trying to form like a kind of coalition of all of these trusted travel agents that even though we work for different people, we all have the same values and, you know, we want to support each other because there's so many independent consultants out in America. But when you talk about like the differences, yeah, a lot of it is to do with software. My last company, I worked for the appointment group, well, it's TAG now, and um, they had some of the best software that I've ever seen. And I know that to be true across the industry. And they just really developed something so niche for them. Um, but they're huge. It's, uh, when I started working for them, they had 60 people, one office and in London, that was it. And now there's like offices in the UK, in the US, in Australia, in Singapore. It's, it's boomed. But um, when you talk about like every agency has to have a license to issue air. So to issue air, you use a GDS, a central reservation system, CRS. And then they're not all the same system. So like currently I'm working on Apollo but I originally learn on Galileo. There's also, sorry, I'm not working on Apollo. I'm working on Sabre. So there's like Sabre, Galileo, Apollo, Worldspan. There's all of these different, and everyone's a different language. So it's a different code. So, and all the airlines also are working on one of these systems. So um, it's quite complex, actually. <laughs> it's quite a lot of like computer stuff that you have to know to be a travel agent um so yeah I think I digressed off that question but I guess no, I guess the whole thing is that every agent is capable of the same thing it just really depends how how they work with you and what they're you know everybody can do the same thing the software just kind of enhances it so if you're the type of person that likes a a tour analysis that's spread over a 50 page pdf with every single hotel listed out, you know, or if you prefer it just on an Excel spreadsheet where you can look at it in one place and just, you know, it really depends on on each client's specific kind of request of how they like to get their information because everybody has the potential to give the same information. <laughs> and then are hotels done in a different type of database or how does that work? With the hotels for touring, I mean, if you were just booking, say if you were like, oh, I need to, last minute, bus drivers need to get some rooms in Cedar Rapids or whatever, like you might just hop onto the that same system and you can just book a couple of rooms. But that would really only be the time that you would book in that system. Well, for me personally, because I like to have a personal contact. You know, if you're dealing with talent, there's no way that you would ever book anything in that system. You would do everything. You'd reach out to your contact. You'd go back and forth, negotiate. You know, you'd send a bazillion emails. And I like to have like a point person that I'm always dealing with, like an actual real person. <laughs> so yeah, I would barely use it to book hotels. And so if you, um, and then do the hotels give you, depending on the amount of guests that you providing them, I guess, or beds, whatever. Um, 
do they then give you like a concierge service of sorts if you have one of your premier principal type guests in that hotel? Yeah. So the the way it works is obviously, and it always gets a little bit frustrating because you get passed from pillar to post. And we all know that continuity is key with, <laughs> with these things when there's a lot of details. And so you usually deal with a salesperson, then they will then pass you to the, the operations person who's going to be that, the contact who's going to meet them with the keys, who's going to be on site during their stay. And then you start working through all the nuts and bolts, like the riders and everything else with that person. And that's the person that you will loop in with the client so that everybody's talking to each other. And that when you show up at four o'clock in the morning, the bell guys aren't like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I like to advance everything very, very, very detailed. So, um, I'll always make sure that I have that that point person who's going to be the person. And if they're not the person, then they've communicated it with everybody that needs to know. Maybe you might have an answer to this question that I've had for a while now. Mm-hmm. With regards to uh, the perks, like the frequent flyers and all the miles and room stuff, why did that airline still honor frequent flyers? Because you fly the, fly, fly the flights. But hotels, you make to stay, but you don't get the points any longer. Because when it comes under a group booking, it goes under the group leader's account. And whoever that group leader is will generally have an agreement with management that either they get all the points or they get some of the points. And that's all a conversation that they've had with management. So there's always, whether it's, Sometimes it's the tour accountant or production manager or the tour manager. Like it could be any of those people or a combination of all that, um, or management that get those points. Yeah. Oh, so it's not the hotel that does it. That's the the artist that's now taking that from us. In my experience, that's, that's how it is. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good to know because I was all in the pressure that, well, when we fly, we get the miles, but now when we stay in those hotel stays for the entire year that we travel, yeah. we don't get those perks because now the, uh, I guess the management is taking them. Yeah. Okay, good to know. I mean, you can always try and like put your card down at the desk, but the thing is because it goes under like a group contract a lot uh-huh. of the time, it all gets like written into those terms and conditions. Why? Why are also, why do hotels charge you a hundred and fifty dollars a day just in case like incidentally if the room is guaranteed by a card why yeah. do they need a card that, that's crazy to me yeah um yeah a lot of it depends this is like a constant battle because say for example you've got a stadium tour you got a hundred people on the crew and the hotel's like we want to take a hundred and fifty dollars each night from every single guest like that's something that what personally I would try and negotiate is that please don't do that because you're going to have a hundred people stood in your lobby in line to put down a card (laughs) not everybody has a credit card and you know I kind of am of the belief that it shouldn't really be your responsibility unless you're like a serial offender that keeps leaving with stuff on their account Mm -hmm. um but there are some management companies out there that don't like to guarantee all of that against the tour card 
So that's when you run into these problems of, well, maybe we just switch off the charging ability so that nobody can nobody can charge back to their room, that you have to, if you do want to charge back to your room, then you have to put down a credit card. It's obviously the hotel have to protect themselves because if you were to order steak and lobster and a bottle of Dom Perignon, they have to have like a full back of who to charge it to. But true. But it why is, do they, why it's all they... about like sort of relationships and with the hotel and just trying to be like, you can trust me and I'm vouching for them, you know. Gotcha. Why do they fight it though? Why can't they just, okay, turn off the room, turn off the stuff for the room, for any incident, yeah. cut it off. They're like, well, it's insurance on the room. That That's that's not true. That can't be. Because mm. insurance on the room should come from the person who guaranteed the room. That's true. That is true. Yeah. But again, it comes back to the management thing of the like, well, if you're going to smash up the TV, <laughs> we're not going to pay for it. Not that I think that you would ever do that, but it does happen. <laughs> Uh, yeah I, I i get what you're saying and you know what i think all of this is going to change because a lot of the times that guarantee was their comeback would always be like well we have to guarantee the cost of the things in the minibar because we have no control over that so you could empty out your minibar leave and you know when they go into service a room they're like oh my god all of the minibars empty but i think post covid i don't think we're going to be seeing minibars in in rooms mm. So that may be something that goes away. It's definitely all about like advance and relationships. And, you know, you've really got to work for to keep everybody happy. <laughs> I mean, because hotel, they're notorious for giving you a host of phantom charges that you never did. Oh, yeah. Especially with the electric minibars and you move things around and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you've had like $200 worth of Coca-Cola. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I was just trying to put my water in the fridge. <laughs> right. Yeah. Danny, going back to the system that you talked about, um, that you use, you mentioned a, several different models, uh, Galileo, Apollo, Sabre, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Are these systems as antiquated as what we see in the airports when we're checking in? I mean, that, it looks like it's the from thing. the 1970s, like like MS-DOS with amber exactly. screens. Is that's that what exact, you're using? That's the exact same system, yeah. It's literally like MS-DOS. <laughs> Why is it so old and so antiquated? I don't know. It's so archaic. I mean, they are kind of revamping it a little bit. You know, they make little tweaks and there's a lot of um, like overlays that you can get on it. So I'm old school. I like to do everything the native way. So if I want to pull up availability, I want to write it out with the code like a, you know, letter by letter. But now you get like younger people coming in and they have no interest in learning that kind of a way of working and they want that quick point and click. So there are definitely layers that you can lay over the top of it, but I feel like you can't really manipulate the system as much with that. It's just more of like a easy way out is how I look at it, but it is, it's super archaic and uh, that's, that's the airline system. So when we work, we go direct into their systems that just seems so backwards. It just seems like we're in 2020 and you just think that they would have an updated thing that makes sense and doesn't look so confusing. Totally. And that's the thing that sits behind like the kayaks and the, this, you know, that that's actually, it sits behind everything from what I understand. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> not, mm. not an IT professional, <laughs> mm. but yeah, it's super old school. Well, with Danny's prior approval, I think we're going to wrap 
part one of what is clearly going to become a two-part episode today with Danny Triebner as we are really just getting started. There's so many questions that I have and uh, really excited to have her on the program. Shout out to you, Danny. Shout out to our co-hosts as well as to all our listeners. A reminder, as always, you can find us at HLUB Podcast on Instagram, hustlikeyoubroke.com. And uh, once again, as we like to remind everyone, we are coming up on an election. Please don't forget to vote. When you're out in public, please wear a mask. Be respectful, courteous, appropriate to others. And on that, that note, thank you.